Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 203, Arya Six in A Clash of Kings. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And are you ready for this actually very, very dense? It's a sweet little chapter, but nothing about it is sweet. It's just really dense, you know? Yeah, it's a horrible chapter, actually, yeah. Eliana. I would say it's a it's a little number. It's a they did a little number on this one. Yeah, it's depressing. It's short, yeah. but it's very dense. There's a lot in it for a small chapter, and it's good because the next chapter is loaded. The next chapter we're gonna do Arya Seven is super loaded, and I think we have a surprise for you guys about it. But you're gonna have to wait till after <laughs> we talk about the other housekeeping. Oh, so get edging. ready, get ready. Edging. Now you have to listen. Yeah, yeah, I'm edging them towards our special surprise. But before we get into the tragic, horrible episode that's going to talk about violence, you know, there's gonna be lots of domestic, physical rape. There's a lot of bad stuff in these chapters. Did you know this? There is. Like, really bad? But also spe- specifically in this one. Just this one too. Yeah. Six and seven are like very, like you know that Arya Six is a dense, sad, fucked up chapter because Nauticast did it in one whole episode instead of Instead of combining the three uh, yeah. Clash Arya chapters. <laughs> uh, not It's a big, no I actually shade, said no that today shade. to my roommate. I was like, wait, you guys didn't split these or did you join these chapters he's like no i did it as one i was like that's how you know it's a big fucking chapter (laughs) it's not just that this chapter actually like there's a lot of the class chapters that have a reprise right and this is one of them that Mm -hmm. definitely comes back and gets callbacks in a couple of different chapters Mm mm-hmm yeah Absolutely. There's a lot going on here. A lot of political stuff that, you know, the Tyrion chapters that surround it, for example. Yeah, true. I think there's so much that connects right here that we see happening in King's Landing and then echoing actually in Arya's plot. So I'm excited to talk about that. Something I'm actually really excited for this month, though, and it grew on me. I want you to know that sometimes Eliana says things to me and I immediately roll my eyes and say, no, Eliana, we're not doing that. Um... Some of Until them I deserve that into, reaction. I'm like, but, but what, yeah. if, what if we did? What if we did? Uh, some of them deserve the reaction I give you, to be fair, but some of them are really good. Uh, I'd say it's like, you know, it's 50-50 depending on the day that your genius is out. You should put it away, though. Tuck that back in. But <laughs> Every time Eliana has an idea, the gods flip a coin. and <laughs> The gods are me. I'm the gods, by the way. Uh, this time I, I, I flipped that coin and I fucking loved what I saw. Eliana came up with an amazing idea for our Patreon bonus episode this month, which if you are not a patron in the stranger tier and above, I highly recommend you become our patron where, you know, you got that five bucks burning in your pocket. You can get bonus episodes every month that the public does not generally have access to. So very exciting. And this one this one is exciting to me. Eliana has a very specific title. Eliana, will you read the title of this episode this month? Yes, it is The House That Went Away. Or The House Went Away. I can't decide which one I like better. No, it's that. Oh, okay. It's that. I like House That Went Away because it did. The House That Went Away. Yeah, they did. Went, they gone. You know, if you want to get went. really, you know, went <laughs> <laughs> about it. Yeah, the house that went away. I'm excited to talk about House Went. I fucking love House Went. I know you uh, We've talked about them on and off this entire, you know, past five years. True. And we'll continue talking about them, I'm sure. 
but there's a lot of mystery, a lot of mystique, and it's our kind of spooky-themed episode for the month. There's that in- okay, I would like to point out, I also had a second good idea, and maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. I was- it was it was You're a, killing it, it was with a, the ideas. Yeah, it was a strange day. It was a strange day that Chloe liked both of the <laughs> ideas that I put in front of her uh, for the Patreon episode. She's like, both of these are good. What's happening? This one, though, I think it really fits. As you said, it, it goes with Halloween. We're here at Heron Hall now. And also, of course, like House Went, like their their blood flows through Arya's veins as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like they're related, bruh. House Went. Minnesota Went. Yeah, I'm excited for that episode. It'll be out at the end of the month for you all. So patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. That is C-A-N-O-N. <laughs> yes. And also something else is that on our Patreon for the Thunder Tier and above, that's $10 and up, you can get access to our Discord where we have fun channels in which I ask everyone, should I be watching the Clone Wars in release order, or should I be watching it in this chronological order that was also released in a different blog? But there's also these brunch slash happy hour, brappy hours, once a month that you can join that has games, giveaways, and get to know yous. And this month is, of course, Halloween themed. Halloween themed is going to be so exciting. I am working my little tush off on a you know, a little Discord reindeer game. So I'm excited. I think we're going to have fun. Indeed. And by reindeer game, is it like, I don't know, it makes me think, is this Nightmare Before Christmas shit? And it's not about it. Oh my god. There's also a couple of other things that we have. It's kind of a packed October. I'm thinking about if I should use this thing that you sent me for my birthday, create a costume. Yeah, I'm honestly, please come in costume. It's going to be October 21st, 3 to 5 p.m., for the Thunder Tier and Above patrons, so please wear your costumes. I'm going to be wearing my costume. I am hyped. I, I actually got myself a little costume this year. It's not even, like, just a cosplay that I already had or anything. It's it's a costume. I'm taking it to a party. I'm going to a Halloween party, and I'm wearing my costume, so you all should do. Also, Chloe has roped her roommate into being part of this costume as well. <laughs> yes, he's... A fucking very central and imperative part. <laughs> no, he's not. Yes, he of is. this costume. Yes, he is. <laughs> when, listen, once we get to the big reveal, I'll tell you guys, for the historians out there, you know, we've always say it's for the historians that are jotting all this down. So for those listening in the future, we'll reveal the costume in due time. I'm actually really excited. It's from one of my favorite movies. In fact, if you ever have watched streams, like a couple weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being on Sanri Scribbles. From our dear friend San Rixian, you may have seen a poster of this movie that's my favorite movie in the background at my household. Hmm. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm dressing up for Halloween from. So more to come. More to come. Yes. And speaking of our friend San Rixian, Sanri's yeah. scribbling and also surprising people. Yeah, we are going to have San Rixian on next week. Mallory will be joining us for Arya Seven in a clash of kings and i'm so excited because she loves Arya stark and we always talk about how we got to do like a sansa Arya duo costume at a con or something together so Arya is mallory's big fave 
I can't wait to hear what she has to say about next week's devastating, depressing, awful episode. It is an interesting choice. And, you know, love that she picked a Clash chapter as well. Mm -hmm. I actually really love these Arya Clash chapters, so it feels special she's coming on for them. You know what? I, before, was not an appreciator enough. First of all, I am not enough of an appreciator of Clash. Between me and Chloe, Chloe is the Clash lover. Is it because... (laughs) Uh, Clash and Chloe start with similar sounds. Unsure. Maybe. 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 But yeah, I'm really enjoying enjoying it. Like they, you know, they are kind of short. They all really flow well into each other. But it fits. Yeah. It works. And maybe this goes against, you know, our order. Obviously, our reading order that we're doing is different because we've read these books countless times already in the regular order. But It is giving me an appreciation for those chapters surrounding it because I think it complements those chapters really well. We were talking a little before this and the Tyrion chapters, for example, Uh, you're going straight from Tyrion giving the commands slash talking about what's happening in the Riverlands to on the ground with Arya actually living it. And this episode today, you know, I mean... It's prisoners of war being carted around, and Arya is on the ground in that, and it gives you a great, not a great, not great in that way, but like a terrible vision at what's coming for everyone in the Riverlands. True, true. And it's also been really enlightening to read these chapters alongside, as we are, we've been doing our read-throughs of some of George's short stories, and kind of like, I don't know, mm-hmm. the way that they're all constructed, it's very interesting to see them together. And if you haven't checked it out, last month we got to cover for patrons in that Stranger Tier and Above in the bonus episodes, a novelette by George, Bitter Blooms, as Eliana <laughs> likes to lovingly call it, Butter Bumps. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was anticipating you there. But yeah, it was a great... Uh, a really great story, a short yeah. story, a really quick read. And I think we found a lot in it and a lot that complements these chapters. And of course, more as we go forward in the story. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a, a really good one. I think, I don't know, I've liked all the other ones that we've read, but in a way, kind of, I wanted to say it was mm-hmm. my favorite of the ones that we've read, but I don't even know if that's true. They're all, they're it's all like there. strong in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, check out. Our next episode with Mallory. Can't wait to give that one to you guys. We look forward to having her on and we'll speed on ahead to get to the episode. But first, an email from one of our sponsors. <laughs> LaCroix. And by LaCroix, we mean Warren. LaCroix. LaCroix. LaCroix half hand himself. Oh, I don't know why it made me think LaQuarantine, which is what's happening <laughs> to Arya and all these prisoners. Anyways, so Warren has sent us another message and acknowledges that yes, it is a short chapter this week, but nonetheless a powerful one. One of the more morose feeling of Arya chapters where her depression seems prominent and Warren points out other observations such as how meek she becomes as she is exposed to the horrors of life in Gregor's camp. Arya's nightly prayer is very prominent. Meek as Arya appears, her fight is still there. She tries to get herself a position in Tywin's stable and imagines escape. Just how George is using Arya to show us the cost slash impact of war on the small folk. It's short without a lot of exposition, but still for this biased Arya-holic, as, as Warren says, a very powerful chapter which serves a strong purpose in setting slash maintaining the overall tone for the story at this point, which, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 
I do want to add his sign-off, which was my little ears are tingling in anticipation. I love that for you, Warren. I'm now going to make fun of your little ears all the time. My little ears. His wee little ears. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that cost of war on the small folk we're seeing. And I do think that Arya's spirit gets a little dampened in this chapter. But thankfully, next chapter, she gets a little genie in a bottle, so to speak, to bring it back. So we will chat through this episode and see if she gets a little comeback in confidence next week it's with her, you know, Jack and Hagar. Yeah, it's actually kind of a good reminder of, you know, all the horrors that Arya is experiencing. Multiply that by, like, thousands, right? Every single one of those people in that line that we're gonna see. They are all experiencing yeah. the same horror and trauma. Like, everyone's having a very, very bad time. So imagine Arya's POV times a bazillion. <sighs> well, today you'll only get it once, but before that, we're gonna take you through a quick spin on the POVs in what we missed between Arya 5 and Arya 6 in our lightning round, starting with Tyrion 5, where Tyrion decides to play with fire. Brand 3, hashtag harvest feasting with the reeds. Catelyn 2, at Bitterbridge, Catelyn attempts to knock some Baratheon boy heads together. Bitterbridge, interesting. Bitter blooms. <laughs> Bitter blooms? <laughs> Bitter blooms. John 3, hmm. the Night's Watch arrives at Craster's Keep. Speaking of Bitter blooms. Theon 2. Theon is seduced and played by Asgred, who is, in disguise, his sister. Except not at all in disguise. He just doesn't know what she looks like. Because, you know, <laughs> child hostage. <laughs> child hostage, you know. Oh, that's the theme. That's the theme. I yep. see it. I see it. Mm-hmm. It's actually something we should think about more. Anyways, Tyrion 5. It's all in a day's work. Deliver great news, poison your sister, arrest Pycelle. He's always doing so much in his chapters. Every time I'm like trying to do the lightning round, I'm like, Tyrion, can you do less? He's Holy so accomplished. <laughs> I know. He really, I I'm serious though. Every time I look at a Tyrion chapter in this book, I'm like, holy shit, you do too much. There's always, like, legitimately, I think until Dance, where it slows down a little and becomes much more about his interiority, I guess this doesn't matter, but mm -hmm. there, as you said, like, Clash is the fucking yeah. Tyrion's getting shit done book. CEO of King's Landing. Kinda. Or COO. Enough with that COO, truly, with our coup from Tyrion. Arya Six, a clash of kings, prisoners of war are being marched to Harrenhal to serve Lord Tywin and his men. And so we open the chapter with Arya repeating her fear is the mind killer mantra, but it doesn't make the fear go away. Fear is now a part of her days, so she's kind of not been sticking to that mantra as much. She had once been afraid on the god's eye, but now she's a new girl with new fears. Isn't being a girl so fun? Who's <laughs> that girl? It's Arya. <laughs> she's been there eight days, and every day someone has been picked to die and is taken for questioning. One girl shared a soldier's bed, three nights running, but was still picked on day four to be questioned. The soldier said nothing. A smiley old man who mends clothing for everybody babbles about his son loudly, and he would say, He's all for Joffrey, a king's man through and through, but he was still picked on the fifth day. A young woman with pox scars offers to tell the mountain everything she knows, as long as they don't hurt her daughter. He chose her daughter the next day to be sure that the woman wasn't holding anything back dang that's pretty messed up honestly i would have it's tried all these fucked. tactics too if i were these people yeah i mean i get it but it's all it's all just luck you know it's all just chance and 
it, it really positions Gregor Clegane as a mountain, right? Like this force of nature. And to an extent, it even kind of puts him in this position of godhood because he's deciding life and death for these people like at a whim, right? This is one examination of power and and what power means. It's the ability to do something. It's power over other people. And mm -hmm. there's, I think, kind of a really interesting irony when it comes to Gregor Clegane's character and his eventual fate. Because while he has all this power over other people, he ends up having no power or control over his body. And it becomes this really full arc for someone who has, to an extent, had an illusion of power, right? Like, But if you even look at it now, where he's seemingly got his full senses, he's, he's a Lannister puppet, and he ends up becoming one in full. So when you look at Gregor Clegane's character... And that version of power, it really makes sense then for Arya to also later intersect with his brother, Sandor. I don't know if you know this, you guys. Gregor and Sandor Clegane are brothers. Holy shit. Holy <laughs> shit. Holy shit. Holy shit. Um, but Sandor, he's strong, like Gregor, and very big. And while he might not be as physically powerful as Gregor, who also exerts that sort of violent power over Sandor, like Sandor ends up being able to reclaim his own power over his own life and defies the orders of the Lannisters and the kings. He is not a puppet or a servant. And I think that's a, also a big part, and we'll talk about it more later on in Arya's chapters, of why the Hound stops being the Hound, right? The Lannister dog, thanks to his, his time with a little wild wolf. With both wolves, really, right? True. I mean, but the other one's a captive. Two not wild right now. <laughs> I love that because, like, if you look at it, I don't know, there's something about literature of, like, imagining it in more of a, you know, like a physical way. Like, if I close my eyes and I see the arcs as actual lines on paper and where they diverge and where they're joining together. Yeah. I don't know, I'm crazy. I, like, see shit. I, like, close my eyes and I see the shape of stories. But the shape of the story, yes, the, the hound becomes Sandor and Gregor becomes a total mindless puppet, which he already was. <laughs> exactly. Already exactly. was. In all but actuality. And this chapter specifically, right at the front, it's doing something wild where it's showing every type of captive mm. and their type of bargaining. Each woman we hear about in this chapter bargaining, promising to do anything, licking their boots, or putting up a fight saying, no, you're going to be murdered either way. As we learn in a moment, the only constant that ch never changes is Gregor, right? And his men, they're ruthless and evil, and every single one of the people that gets chosen, so lucky to be interviewed here dies they die no matter how hard you lick their boots the best you're going to be rewarded with is death or rape in this camp and that's really awful it's really horrendous it's usually kind of both i guess is what i what it seems you yeah. know death or rape yeah or rape than death so <sighs> yes and it's the it, it's a really like it brings this chapter brings a lot of physical reaction out of me there's so much that haunts me in it it's gross and you know they go on to the questioning right the tickler is introduced it's kind of interesting because you can almost again take all these roles and put them into like a corporate office in your head in a way right except they're like murdering people and torturing them for answers but <laughs> i was like i was like what corporate well because like the way Arya introduces them yeah, no no I she's agree. introducing like the tickler yeah. here he is the torturer he tortures 
these people in front of all the other captives gets an active audience to make sure they see what's happening and what will happen to them to scare them and intimidate them. And then you meet Chiswick. He's stoop-shouldered. He's the one that last chapter called Arya a fierce thing and then hit her in the head, if you remember. He tells all of the, the captives, oh, the tickler makes people howl so much they piss themselves. And sometimes Chiswick helps the tickler or others help him. Gregor watches and listens while the victim dies, and as Arya says, they all died, and their bodies get left out for the wolves to eat. I really like what you said, though, about them kind of seeming like a corporation. I know that you or, I don't know, one of your friends have, <laughs> have described, you know, a lot of the Lannisters and the way that they run is kind of like a, a mob. Yeah. Right? But it, the way that you described it really makes it seem like this very cold, cold machine. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, it is a mob, because the mob, like, the biggest thing about the mob is like getting like the godfather the godfather the entire thing was how can i get my son to be legitimate how do we legitimize this business and take it from the streets where currently we're just killing people and crushing their skulls on a curb for funsies to get our money but how do we legitimize it how do we make it an, an llc an incorporated mm. well i mean joffrey's on the throne there's your legitimacy this is the legitimacy they now have and at the same token they're still doing it through illegitimate ways. They're just trying to legitimize their ways to make it the thing that's accepted and normal across the countryside. Yeah, and you can kind of see the desperation that they're trying to, like, really legitimize themselves with this line of questioning, all just to get this, like, one man, this this holdout camp, right? Yeah, it's... And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, because I have a lot to say about that, because it is a regime, right? Like... Yes, Joffrey mm. is the puppet on the throne with the crown on his head doing dumb shit, but Tywin is the man calling the shots, and this is his legacy that mm -hmm. it's all fucking with. His goal is that this will be the Lannister legacy, that he can make right his father's mistakes by doing this. Yeah. We have overcorrected. Yep. We have a passage that it's going to come back eventually in a couple of ways, so maybe it's important. So we'll, we'll read it. The questions were always the same. Was there gold hidden in the village? Silver? Gems? Was there more food? Where was Lord Beric Dondarrion? Which of the village folk had aided him? When he rode off, where did he go? How many men were with him? How many knights? How many bowmen? How many men-at-arms? How were they armed? How many were horsed? How many were wounded? What other enemy had they seen? How many? When? What banners did they fly? Where did they go? Was there gold hidden in the village? How much? Silver? Gems? Where was Lord Beric Dondarrion? How many men were with him? By the third day, Arya could have asked the questions herself. I find that line very interesting. And I love that you called out at the beginning of this chapter how it starts with Arya's mantra from Sirio and also our friend Warren as well, LaCorin, <laughs> called that out with Arya's prayer that we get a little later on. And and this line of Arya could have asked these questions by heart later because, yes, these do make a reprise. And, yes, later this chapter, Arya develops her kill list of people she wants to die. And that does become a sort of mantra itself, punctuated by the Valor Morgulis. And I think there's an aspect of Arya's character and story that that is very religious, or if not religion in the way that we think about, you know, this organized sense. It's very spiritual in a way that I think is different from Aaron and Melisandre's, but still kind of related. Like, whether or not Arya believes in any god, 
She is currently serving at a religious institution or training at one, and she acts in the capacity as a, you know, quote unquote, servant of that God, right? Or, or carrying out that God's will mm -hmm. and answering the prayers of people there. The repetition of so many of these different mantras, which are, yes, prayers, as Hercules is called later on throughout her chapters, like really gives it that spiritual effect. It becomes this prayer as a sort of meditation or ritual. And I think that is kind of aligned with how we see it in the earlier parts of Aaron's chapters mm -hmm. versus what prayer becomes in Melisandre's chapters or even Aaron's later chapters where it's prayer as pleading, prayer as a way to, to manifest things as opposed to meditation and comfort. And so I think it really makes sense in the context of how Arya's story is examining power and therefore godhood when it comes to, again, her role at the House of Black and White or even here with forces of nature like Gregor. I love that you've brought Aaron into this too because I was thinking of him even with the language of the people being chosen to be questioned, mm. being chosen, right? Or having, you know, being passed over. And I think a lot actually about how they visualized it in Game of Thrones because it was well done. You could feel the fear. You could see the people huddled and waiting waiting to be chosen, waiting to be chosen. And that's a lot of what Aaron's plot revolves around. That's kind of interesting, the waiting to be chosen, especially. For torture. For torture, and then like the flip side of that, right? When it comes to like chosen mm -hmm. ones, things like that. Yeah. Very interesting. So the torturers find gold, silver, copper, and they learn that Beric had 10 starvelings, or uh, I don't know, maybe 100 mountain mounted knights who knows maybe even 20 good men we all know we see their their camp later on anyways they went west north south across the lake in a boat or strong or they're weak something that's really interesting about Arya's story also is like her further learning the role of intelligence and i don't mean that like as in you know she's smart i mean that in like the cia usage of the term mm -hmm. intelligence by watching this interrogation because we have this sort of build-up right first we have her overhearing varies in illyrio and then we also have that this whole scene, this whole fucking chapter, and the lengths that the Ar Lannister army will go for intelligence. They're going pretty fucking far. And then later on, we have her training with the Faceless Men and coming back with, you know, what are three new things every single day? And it really starts to feel like, I know that a lot of people have speculated this, but I you can really see the, the thread if she is being built up for maybe a Master of Whispers sort of role. And I think that would be really interesting if she were, especially when you put her alongside characters such as Varys, right? Like, or, I mean, we, we talked about Varys and Arya a few, a few chapters ago, but if you look at the Master of Whisperers, which I have for a long time kept calling Master of Whispers, turns out it's Whisperers, mm -hmm. okay? Three out of six of them, so 50% of all of the known ones are from Estos. You've got Tyanna, Mizaria, and Fairies. Melisandre kind of fulfills a similar role for Stannis, but she isn't like exactly a master of whispers. She's made her own her own like job title. And so it'd be really interesting for Arya, who is SOC trained, but Westerosi born. And then you also have this aspect of master of whispers who tend to be like gender outlaws, right? A lot of them are women with power and magic. Or they're maybe like foreign others or, or gender outlaws in different ways. For example, like how Varys, yeah, he's foreign, but he's also a eunuch, right? We have Larys and Bloodraven. They have othered bodies and 
disability uh, with Larry's. I know people have discussed that in, in terms of masculinity before, and there's an aspect of that with Bloodraven as well. And also Bloodraven is a bastard and he has magic. So the magic part's pretty a pretty big deal, especially when you look at someone like Kyburn, right? Who, again, when it comes to that gendered aspect in masculinity, comes from a celibate institution that he dropped out of. So I guess he could just keep having sex if he wanted to, but uh, he doesn't feel... I don't know what Kyburn's into. Anyways. He's not into sex, honey. He's into torture. It turns him on. Yeah. He edges to taking someone's, like, bowels out, okay? Like, that That gets him off. Actually, legitimately, yeah. like... Oh, wait. Hold on. Idea. He's a sadist. Kyburn, I don't know, POV. Like a like a pro epilogue. An epilogue would be good, yeah. Yeah. I could see it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Arya, of course, practices magic. What? <laughs> what? What? my god um yeah i don't know it's uh, the master of whispers is one of the few like high level positions that is often occupied by someone who isn't from the usual westerosi power structure and therefore it's a position that comes with a lot of distrust because it's from outside that usual system uh both in the position but also because of again the identities of the person who holds it because they tend to be these very othered identities yeah, I'm so glad you pulled this out because I was thinking a little bit about that as we talk about some of these kind of Essos versus Westeros things. And I mean, Tyanna is a very central mm-hmm. character around a time when a king dies and is revived in a tower. True. Interesting. Mizaria. Interesting. Uh, her, she may have swayed the Dance of the Dragons slash Civil War, where a brother with a claim is fighting a half-sister over her claim, right? Being a Targaryen dragon. Oh, true. Mizaria had some, maybe some dabbling in there. And this is, you know, this is a very vague parallel. But look at, you know, Game of Thrones season eight, right? Whatever. Arya also could be in a position to influence the way that the war is going with her siblings, who very much would respect her opinion probably at this point. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's a big role for her in the Winterfell court, right? That she will probably become the mistress of Whisperers when the wolves come home. Uh, maybe not forever. The bad show should have done that. I don't know what their problem is. They're stupid. That would have been so cute. Couldn't you imagine a scene where Sansa is like sitting there with her and John and Bran? She's like, well, Aya, we need a master of Whisperers, you know? You know, just something stupid and cute because Sansa loves titles. She'd be like, well, we should have it. I don't know. It'd be adorable, but... She might have to also pull double duty, right? Because Sansa can't do any of that coin shit whatsoever. Actually, that's not a bad idea, considering, like, could Arya, amongst, like, you know, her various training in Bravos, could one of her things be masquerade as intern at the fucking Iron Bank? It's, like, literally right there. I mean, what else is she gonna do? We only have 14 more books to go. Oh my god, I'm imagining, what is that show that you got me into? What is that show that you got me into with the banking and shit? Which one is that? The the cut the cutthroat girls. The girls who are so cutthroat. Oh, industry? Industry. I love industry. I'm imagining Arya I'm imagining Arya in, in industry <laughs> and trying to sell fucking hedge funds to people at the Iron Bank or Hedge something. Knights? Oh my god. Oh, interesting. Leave them out of this. Interesting. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but they're going to work together somehow. Like, the show got it all fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. Or Master of Coin thought Rickon. I mean, 
There's literally no, there's literally no, jo- I just thought it'd be funny to say Rickon as a joke. What's he going to do? boy can't even Bring count. a fucking abacus from Skagos? I'm so for real right now. Like, what are you talking about? Um, no, realistically, I, I no, have this I, all I, laid I out in my head, nothing. though. Like, I know who's what. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. When Sansa takes her throne, which is going to happen, so I don't know why anyone's rolling their eyes at me through the screen right now at home. But when Sansa takes her throne, uh, Master of Coin is going to be one of the Manderly girls, either Winifred. Probably. Yeah, I, I mean... That, that's my guess. I mean, they, they're going to be in charge of the mint and the men will be dead. So I'd say it'll be Wyla or Winifred. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm still holding out for Lord Manderly to fucking make it, but I don't think he's, like, uh, you know, in... That man needs to take, like, family medical leave hmm. right now. Like, definitely medical right now. All right. I have no comment. Let's move on from that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, Eliana, don't take this from me. That bitch is going to be Lord dead Manderley. in the Winds of Winter within three Here. chapters. That bitch is already bled out okay. in the snow. Here's how Lord Vanderly can still win. So, when they begin the march to Harrenhal, Arya knows that she's no water dancer. Syria wouldn't have let these people kill Lamy or take his sword or meekly shuffled about. Arya feels more like a lamb than a wolf, and she hates the sheepishness of the villagers just as much as she hates herself. We have a line. The Lannisters had taken everything. Father, friends, home, hope, courage. <laughs> I just like this language. It gets real fucking dramatic there when they're like, the Lannisters took hope and courage, but I get it from the position of Arya's especially very childlike story, right? I think, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of mature things that happen in her story. Mm -hmm. Like, also, this is this series after all, but the Lannisters are this monstrous evil black hole of a villain to her that that does seem insurmountable for beating and like yeah Arya isn't a water dancer she doesn't feel like one right now maybe it's a good thing she isn't or she would have fucking died protecting trying to protect all these people but her story's not done yet (laughs) not yet no that's true I like the language a lot though in that line I'm glad that we pulled it out because it reminds me of Jon Snow motherless damned (laughs) it actually is kind of literally the same kind of vibe (laughs) Same construction and everything. Yeah, that that just that little bit of word, 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 word. Actually, it is kind of literally the same. It's her version. Construction. It's Arya's George. Arya's version instead of Taylor's version. Yeah. Thanks. So, no chatter is allowed, and Arya had learned that the hard way. You wouldn't have survived. Uh, and now she, she has a broken lip. Me? Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> She watched them die when the Wrath of Sweetling was smashing in faces or killing mothers, you know, normal shit. And then we have this line of, what good did it do you to be brave? One of the women picked for questioning had tried to be brave, but she had died screaming like all the rest. There were no brave people on that march, only scared and hungry ones. Most were women and children. Devastating. I'm sorry. That is so fucked up. No, it is. So sad. There were no brave people, just scared people. Well, Arya, you know when a man can be brave? When they're afraid. Ha! <laughs> but what about for women and children? Well, fuck them, you know? That's what it's Ned actually... said. Ned was like, fuck women and children. <laughs> yeah, actually. That's why he never took them to go see, you know, the very fun beheadings. Uh, fun. No one had fun dad day. Fun, like, dad trip. Yeah. With that. Yeah, we do get a little bit of that, right? There's a little, uh, in this chapter, actually, I think it is, there's a little, is it this one? It's either this one or next one we'll come across where there's a little bit of a, um, I don't know, we can call it a retcon, right? In a little way that George is like, Arya had heard about when her brothers went out to see the deserter slayed. I'm like, oh, did she? Did she hear about it, George? Thanks for letting us know that a book later. Yeah, 
she only hears about it. But you know who else never had any like father dad trips? <laughs> Gentry. <laughs> For real. For real. <laughs> yeah. He's been spared from torture because he could forge armor, so he has use. And very excitingly, they are all going to serve Tywin. And the mountain reminded them that they were all traitors and rebels, and they are lucky to be getting this chance to obey, serve, live. <laughs> Hold on. Does the mountain think that... Does the mountain, like, do you think he ever felt, like, this guilt or something? He's like, I'm so lucky I get to be here to obey, serve, and live. No. I mean... Okay. no thoughts. I don't think so, on, necessarily, head, but maybe. Probably. I mean, look. I don't know. Look at him as, like, a lower corporate person, right? Like, yeah, maybe. He fucking... He just fucking loves that shit. I don't know, yeah. There's something... I legit don't know. Well, I mean, that's kind of what he gets doomed to as a Kingsguard member. Right? To obey, serve, and live. He becomes a Kingsguard True. member. As you said, a, a mindless True. puppet. And there is something there. Like, the obey, serve, and live. Obviously very cops, but also very Kingsguard. And it definitely brings those Kingsguard lines to life of, like... Especially when you get that, that view into the tower in Jamie's chapters of, like, yeah, they have nice quarters to live in or whatever, but they don't really have much. The Kingsguard. Like, they don't have much. This is their life now, obeying, serving, and living. And it's interesting that this language is used here for everyone there who is lucky to be serving Tywin. That's so interesting because they don't have much else, right? They're not allowed to really have any other connections emotionally. It's kind of... Are they like the Jedi? <laughs> but also, it's... it's it's kind of goes back to Daenerys' story of, like, look at what your life is worth when all the rest is gone. What do you actually have at the end of the day? Yeah. And there's something else here that I've been kind of thinking about, especially in this chapter, the Kingswood Brotherhood. I want to bring that up because I think it reflects as we start to get the Brotherhood Without Banners going, there are a lot of similarities, right? Uh, and there's something here with Tywin and with Gregor and with this, like, chase for Beric and how it becomes so all-consuming for their martial order, like, that the number one goal is kill Beric, right? Like, get Beric, make an example of him, because no one does that to us, to, to mm, Westeros, to the crown. And in a way, it reminds me of something in America that happens with presidents, where they have one or two martial matters that to them are like, this defines my legacy, right? So Bush, for example, and the War on Terror, which if you know went really great, Bush's War on Terror, and you look at him, you know, trying to capture the ringleaders for the War on Terror, that was so important for him to do before he left office, right? That became like a, this is my legacy, I will be known for stopping the terrorism is his goal. Obama had him. Um, Trump even had some of his own, right? Whether we're looking at, you know, finding the leaders, etc. Whatever you can do to make that part of your public, you know, this is what I accomplished while I was in office. And that's what I think this is for Tywin, right? The Brotherhood Without Banners has become, if you look at Ares, Ares's big accomplishment in office was getting the Kingswood Brotherhood dealt with. Now, Let's talk about the Kingswood Brotherhood and what that means, though. They were sheltered by the small folk in the Kingswood, 
Right. And they had a huge battle between the Kingswood Brotherhood and Jamie, Arthur, Barristan, and co. And most of them were killed or took the black. And the only way all of this had any breakage, because they couldn't be touched because they were in the Kingswood being sheltered by small folk. Arthur Dane petitioned Eris for better rights for the small folk and swung the scales to give them rights in exchange for impunity so that the Kingsguard could enter the Kingswood and go after the Brotherhood. So before that, they were roaming free under their protection, right? So they just couldn't nail them down. Now, this was kind of born, though, out of a time of injustice and disparity for pay and food in Westeros. As well, as far as war and as far as, you know, you look at what happened with what Duskendale, that the people were like, lower taxes, please. And he was like, no. And they were like, kidnap, please. Obviously, the lords were not happy. Obviously, the lords and even not the lords were unhappy and not able to live. And in times of disparity, in times of poverty, crime goes up because people have to fucking feed themselves and their family or they die. And so let's look at the legacy of the Brotherhood Without Banners for Tywin and Joffrey. The Brotherhood Without Banners was literally born of Robert, which Tywin is trying to kill off. He does not want anyone to think anything good of Robert. It's all about Joffrey. This is a new PR campaign. In Robert's name, the Brotherhood Without Banners was born, pledged to bring down the mountain and his injustices across the Riverlands and Crownlands. So while they end up broken up after this fording, the Brotherhood Without Banners, they attract other broken men to their group that have experienced similar yeah. issues. Beric knights each of them when they join, and they begin to try to take control of bigger territories and kind of start their own miniature economy, right? Look at the Inn at the Crossroads, though. It's Robin Hood shit, right? Like, they are blocking off. You don't just go to the Inn at the Crossroads right now in A Dance with Dragons. It's dangerous. Lords can't just go there. They are, you know, cutting the means to supply to make the king give a fuck. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great point. And they never do really succeed, right, in, in getting Beric. And part of it is a combination of, like, I don't know if they have the small folks protection right now. Some of them they do, some they don't. Mostly they just have a... They got magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, they do have some small folk support, but yeah, it, it's a great point of, like, Tywin's really making this his his hill to die on. <laughs> Close. Well, it's it's a threat. Yeah. It's a threat to I mean to the their, legitimacy of the crown. Power. Yeah. Absolutely exactly, literally. I mean everything that Tywin does, especially in this book, can pretty much be seen as defense or offense on keeping Joffrey's legitimacy as king. Uh that's that's his biggest thing in this book. And I think that the Barrack and the Brotherhood Without Banners and the guerrilla warfare, the fainting, and the fact that they can't catch them and get him strung up in town square in front of everyone, it kills Tywin. I mean, you know, before Tyrion does, but it kills him inside. Especially because those are supposed to be like Baratheon men, you know? Those so it's like what are you saying about Joffrey? Yeah. The truth. Yup. Yup. <laughs> Yeah, we see the ramifications of that in in Arya's story. There's a great passage back and forth where we kind of see how the small folk feel, feel about it that Arya is surrounded by. Right? It's not just. It's not. She heard one wizened old woman complain to another when they bedded down for the night. We never did no treason. The others come in and took what they wanted. Same as this bunch. Lord Beric did us no hurt, though. And that red priest with him. He paid for all they took. Paid? He took two of my chickens and gave me a bit of paper with a mark on it. 
Can I eat a bit of raggy old paper? I ask you, will it give me eggs? She looked about to see that no guards were near and spat three times. There's for the Tullys, and there's for the Lannisters, and there's for the Starks. It's a sin and a shame. An old man hissed. When the old king was still alive, he'd not have stood for this. King Robert? Arya asked, forgetting herself. King Eris! Gods grace him! The old man said too loudly. A guard came sauntering over to shut them up. The old man lost both his teeth, and there was no more talk that night. Ugh. First of all, the teeth trauma in this book is killing me. I'm like, oh god, all the time. Yeah, I love, uh, and I don't mean I love that it's happening, but it is kind of nice for Arya, Sansa, and the Starks in general to hear, like, conflicting things about their house on the road or from others Mm. when they're in disguise, because it's good, because, like, Arya, even here, she's fighting, like, growing up as a noble. Right, like, everything about this situation is like, but I'm a noble. But I'm a noble lady. Like, what are you talking about? This shouldn't be happening to me. And it, no, she's been, you know, downgraded to just be a normal person like everybody else and is being treated normally. Just normie. Yeah. yeah. In fact, being a noble is dangerous uh, in this situation. More dangerous. So, very interesting. And, yeah, th- this conversation especially is very sad. I feel for that man and his dead two teeth that are gone now. and. That moment where Arya's like, King Robert? <laughs> it reminds <laughs> me of Sansa in the Veil vale when Miranda's like, oh, and there's some new commander of the Night's Watch. Jon Snow? I don't know him. Who said that? <laughs> uh, made me laugh. But <sighs> the irony, of course, of all of this, especially as we've kind of heard over the last few chapters, is they don't know Robert's dead. Probably. You True. know, most of them probably don't even know Robert's dead. They don't even know who the king is or who the boy king on the throne is. It's such a whirlwind of Robert died, get Joffrey on the throne. I mean, most of them don't even know who the king is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, some of them might, some of them might not. Like, all the information's all loosey-goosey. You know, speaking of who's the king, was this was this a pun or something? Like, can I eat a bit of raggy old paper? I ask you, will it give me eggs? And, like, the bit of, like, a paper with a mark You on know it? what it is? It's word for word what he copy-pasted and put in Elaria's speech is what it is. Oh, I was thinking, I was thinking, like, is it about how using a piece of paper and just being like, this is an egg on. Ah! Egg no. on their face. Okay, I like that. That's interesting. Oh, um, no. No, I think it is I'm just a, it's just like a, it's like the paper shield, you know, like we owe you. Yeah, I owe yeah. you. Here's your fucking chickens. And showing that, you know, Barrick and them stole all their fucking food and was like, sorry, we'll pay you back, you know, if we don't die. <laughs> we'll come back. Yeah, like, that's great that they're trying to be honorable, but they can't fucking eat and live off of honor. It's like, it's like what, you were saying, or like we were saying earlier, you know, some some of these small folks support them, some don't. Yeah. Really just depends. It makes no difference um, to them. It doesn't. It, it really embodies what Jorah was saying about the High Lords playing their Game of Thrones. Now, the small folk don't really care. And like you said, they literally don't know who the fucking High Lords and Kings are right now. Who's alive? Who's not alive? No one fucking knows. I guess some of them might know that Robert's dead because that's why they are like, that, that Edward Stark, he's a traitor. He tried to seize the throne, but anyways, I will say, like, let's be real. As as you were pointing out when it came to Ares' reign, right, he was only kind of pinned by Arthur Dane to, like, do good shit. And, like, if any of these people happened to be in Ares' line of sight, like, 
he would not only just stand for all of these things to happen. I don't think he would really care, but he might even be like, oh, I need Viagra tonight. Let's burn. He like waves his finger in the air and he just like points at someone random. He's like, let's burn that one. Let's burn that guy. And I'm not saying that Gregor is better. I think they both suck. I'm just saying that. It's a PR thing. It's like you need PR. Marys was a bad guy. Look at <laughs> yeah. look at Marjorie when she marries Joffrey, right? Out in the streets giving alms to the poor and doing good names. The Tyrells are out there giving food out. All for the good name of A, boosting the Tyrells, but also boosting Joffrey's image, even though we know he's a little fucking True. shithead. Though we feel sympathetic towards his upbringing, but still a fucking shithead, which I think is the GGC official stance. Yeah. <laughs> and then they were like... We can't, we can't redeem his image. Let's just kill him. Yeah, I mean, that's how I feel, honestly, in PR. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's interesting because you think about, like, Elia and the Martells, you know, they probably did a lot for the Targaryen image and Rhaegar, but everything for Eris was, you know, others revamping that image. I mean, it's not great when you have vassals kidnap you and hold you hostage just because they want their taxes and feudal obligations lowered like that's a bad sign i'm saying i'm just saying i'm just putting it out i'm putting it out there eliana okay that's a that's a good point did this all does he like think that aries was kidnapped for no reason i mean he might not do they might not know he doesn't know aries was kidnapped they probably you heard know? that he was kidnapped and thought oh no our good king that's true again he's just a figurehead he's a puppet yeah. on the fucking iron throne like they don't care he's just another blonde motherfucker yeah. It's probably why Joffrey gets no, you know, shit from them. They're like, yeah, whatever. Another blonde motherfucker. Who cares about that king? They're also like, who's Joffrey? <laughs> Seriously. So Gregor had brought livestock with the captives, and he and his men rode on horses while all the captives are walking during this pilgrimage. And the weak and those who attempt to run are killed. At night, women are taken out to the bushes. Most go meekly. One girl, prettier than others... <laughs> was raped by four or five men every night until she hit one with a rock and Gregor took her head off and told them to leave her for the wolves. Yeah, it's really sad to see the the women have such this blasé attitude towards sexual violence, right? It's, it's expected. They expect the gender-based violence, especially in this context of war. And then, you know, this, this woman, she hits one with a rock and... I guess that's her way of like going down fighting, right? Mm -hmm. When Tyrion was all like, I would rather I would rather die than be used as a slave. And I think, you know, if she had chosen not to and chosen to survive, either either way that she chooses to go about it, it's valid. Mm -hmm. Right? What are you gonna do in this fucking situation? And then afterwards her body is left to be eaten by the wolves, and it really just goes <laughs> to show how within this context the women's bodies are just merely objects to consume, whether that's sexually or literally. Flesh for a pound, right? Ugh. I mean, the wolves aren't paying for... Yeah, they got a free for, fucking uh, ride. Pounds. I thought the Lannisters yeah. hated the Starks. So, yeah, that's true. They're feeding. They are feeding these wolves. They're so fat. Oh my god. Arya watches the man-at-arms, Polliver. He has needle on his hip, and she's kind of glad she doesn't have it because she thinks that she would tear them all to shreds or die trying. She had learned the names and the faces of the Lannister camp, knowing some were cruel, some were smart. Shitmouth was foul, but he'd give out extra bread. Chiswick is, you know, he's, uh, Chiswick, but he and Raph seem kind-ish, but they would beat you way easier than Shitmouth would. So just a handful of little examples of things to learn at camp and secrets Arya's learned. Exactly, the secrets and the intelligence, but it also kind of seems like a twisted way of Ned's lesson, right, of know your men. Mm, she knows them. So... We have this passage that we like. 
Arya watched and listened and polished her hates, the way Gendry once polished his horned helm. Dunson wore those bull's horns now, and she hated him for it. She hated Palaver for Needle, she hated Old Chiswick, who thought he was funny, and Wrath the Sweetling, who'd driven his spear through Lamy's throat, she hated him even more. She hated Amory Lorch for Yorin, and she hated Sir Marin Tramp for Sirio, the Hound for killing the butcher's boy Micah, and Sir Illid and Prince Joffrey and the Queen for the sake of her father, and Fat Tom and Desmond and the rest, and even for Lady, Sansa's wolf. The Tickler was almost too scary to hate. At times, she could almost forget he was still with them. When he wasn't asking questions, he was just another soldier, quieter than most, with a face like a thousand other men. Every night, Arya would say their names. Sir Gregor, she'd whisper to her stone pillow. Dunson, Poliver, Chiswick, Raph the Sweetling, the Tickler and the Hound, Sir Amory, Sir Illyn, Sir Marin, King Joffrey, Queen Cersei. Back in Winterfell, Arya had prayed with her mother in the Sept and with her father in the godswood, but there were no gods on the road to Harrenhal, and her names were the only prayer she cared to remember. Every day they marched, and every night she said their names, until finally the trees thinned and gave way to a patchwork landscape of rolling hills, meandering streams, and sunlit fields where the husks of burnt holdfasts thrust up, black as rotten teeth. It was another long day's march before they glimpsed the towers of Harrenhal in the distance, hard beside the blue waters of the lake. Thank you. Thank you. E got one. E got yes, one. Thank you. Should I have sang a little, made it really E got worthy? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Really go for a Tony. Sir mm-hmm, Gregor, Dunson, Oliver, Chiswick, Raph the Sweetling. I could see it. Or I've learned recently thanks to Only Murders in the Building, about the concept of a patter song. This could be a good patter song. It kind of makes me think of uh, of Chicago, Cell Block Tango in Chicago, where they're each whispering the the name of the person they got Ooh, that put yeah, them yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. So I would love that for Arya, the Sir Gregor, Dunson, Poliver, Chiswick. Yeah, I think that could work. They're making that Robert's Rebellion play, which again, I think should be a musical. Yeah, it's fucked up that it's only a play. Honestly, I would not be surprised if, like, in, I don't know, 30 years, (laughs) this ends up as a musical. (laughs) I hope so. Hey, they should hire us. We can make it happen. I literally have none of the skills to make this into a musical. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I can can paint the sets. That is my skill. See, you're in. You're hired. You're hired. If you would like to apply to be on the team to make the Roberts Rebellion musical, please reach out to us, girlsgonecanon, gmail.com, C-A-N-O-N. I was like, I cannot write music. (laughs) I got you. I got you. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. Well, Arya hopes slash thinks that things will be better uh, once they get to Harrenhal, but memories from old Nan's stories fill her mind while calluses fill her feet. They continue their great walk toward Tywin's encampment until Harrenhal rises beside the lake, and the smell of the camp tells Arya that, oh, they've been here for some time. There are flies swarming around the camp, and its gatehouses are scarred. The shortest tower is as tall as the highest tower in Winterfell. But something's just off about the castle. It's bad vibes, <laughs> and it looks like an old man's gnarly fingers groping at a cloud. I what love the fuck? that. I love that imagery. <laughs> I do, especially because, like, you know, with my hand problems, sometimes, like, if I 
overdo it with my hands if I do too much of them. I'll wake up and they're claw-like, so it makes me think of my hands. I'm like, oh, yeah, you gross bitches. I love that imagery, and I also love this entrance that, like, because the sewage is backed up. Like, the sewage is backed up and flies are there. They've been there for so long because they're just shitting all the time. Like, that's how long they've been there, and that's That's so fucked up and gross. I love it. I think that's such a cool way to measure time through shit. It also goes to show that, like, they don't fucking care what happens to this. This isn't their home. They're not planning on staying here. They didn't even fucking bring people to clean this place. They're trashing their Airbnb, first of all. They're verbo. Um, they're trashing it, which is- It's like a shitty bachelor pad. Uh, yeah, it is. And it's funny because nobody means to keep this bitch, right? Like, no one wants this castle. Honestly, I think they're just preparing it for its owner, Littlefinger. You know? This is what he deserves. Mm, this is actually what he deserves. <laughs> Also, you didn't see it, but Chloe and I just kept like, fruh, 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 like gnarling our fingers, just making like, hands at the air. Yeah, Ooh, heavy balls. You see that? Like, is this what it looks like? Well, it, it's like groping at the cloud. You know, we have a little line. Arya thinks she remembered Nan telling her how the stone had melted and flowed like candle wax down the steps and in the windows, glowing a sullen, searing red as it sought out Heron where he hid. Arya could believe every word. Each tower was more grotesque and misshapen than the last. Lumpy and runnelled and cracked. Lumpy. Lumpy. Like lumpy head. <laughs> I'm glad you're on the same page as me, huh? Uh, uh, we're literally on the same page. We're on page, <laughs> what is this, seven of this document. It's funny that it says Nan and not old Nan. Like, show some fucking respect, Arya, <laughs> to your elders. God. I think she was um, going for, like, the, the the Nan being the last name, old being her first name. You know, that's her sure name. <laughs> uh, last name Nan, first name old. That could be a rap. That will be old Nan's rap <laughs> <laughs> in the musical version. So... Heron Hall really, I think, throughout the series, but especially within the main one, kind of serves as the symbol of hubris and the following need for humility afterwards. Like, it, it's about humbling those who think that they could defy the gods, whether or not that's the Targaryens or not, but just in general, this idea of like, I don't know, it's a Tower of Babel kind of thing, right? Heron Hall also kind of feels a bit like this, uh, it was like a physical manifestation of the mountain. Mm. We were talking about the irony of his story and how he becomes humbled. But in general, like this, this it's colossal, it's huge, it's cursed. And the mountain really feels like that, especially as he becomes Robert Strong, because let's be real, it's probably fucking him. And the Heron Hall isn't its own master, right? It's an empty vessel of a castle, just like Robert Strong. <laughs> Strong! Uh-huh. <of> Heron Hall. <laughs> Actually, it's funny because I was thinking about how robert strong's name came about and like you know george was really deep into the strongs at that time for a couple reasons right like he totally is playing with that of course rhaenyra in the original princess and the queen she's marrying lionel strong was her first like iteration of her husband so the very beginning george originally had said she was marrying lionel and had kids with him uh this was before the bastards so for those of you keeping up with the old house of the dragon and the dance of the dragons before Rhaenyra's kids were bastards, she married Lionel Strong and had his kids, and that was just normal. Those were her first three sons, and then she married Damon and had the other two. Well, then that changed. It's a little bit of a somewhat of a garden, but also it's more like an abridgment. Uh, that changed. He decided to change how that worked just to get the story right, but how Strong doesn't get mentioned in the main books until A Feast for Crows. And George kind of, you know, 2013 uh, is when he put out that first iteration of Princess and the Queen, So 
Mm. That's a little bit, you know, following. The fe- yeah, I know. I don't want to talk about it. It's a decade ago. <laughs> uh, and then Feast, of course, had Kristen Cole and the Kingmaker, right? Uh, kind of referenced for Aries. So we have a few of those dance themes coming in around Storm and Feast writing time. So I do think that he decided to garden a little bit for Robert Strong and make him a strong. And I think it's connected to this. But that said, a lot of the changes from the original Princess and the Queen story, not just the very original iteration, but the actual first published come and, and the Fire and Blood come from it being abridged. Uh, that's why in the world of Ice and Fire, you still have some things like Mailer's death, for example, are in there because the authors of said book knew a little more than the public knew. And the Princess and the Queen was abridged to be published at the time, to be shortened and put out. Yeah, and and sometimes, like, in my, like, in-world headcanon, I'm like, oh, these are different because, as you said, they're abridged. Or maybe, like, someone was just recreating the, the information and the research, mm-hmm. you know, from yeah. scratch or something and made, like, a shitty counterfeit with wrong information. Oh, interesting, Anyways. interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, could, it could work, it could work. I'm liking your headcanon. Just like canon. how there's, there's different maps, right? Like the show's version of the known world <laughs> of the map is different than the ones in the books and like the the official ones. And I'm like, oh, it's because like, you know, a bunch of the maps, if you look at them mm-hmm. in our real world, olden days. They change. They all look a little different. Some of them are wildly inaccurate, as you know, um, as everyone knows. Hot Pie squeaks that he doesn't want to go in because who the fuck does? And Chiswick tells him to join the ghosts or become one. And it, it kind of makes me think of the ghost in Winterfell and also of Jenny of Old Stones dancing with her ghosts. And that's the furthest I got with that thought. I, I cannot expand on it more. No, you you that's pretty much what you should be thinking about. Good job. Good job. I like it. And also it. it furthers in the next chapter when Arya really becomes that ghost in Harrenhal mm. herself, you know, of going around and ordering true, people true. to die. And it does remind me of the ghost in Winterfell. It reminds me in general of uh, the Tyler Durden thing going on out there, you know? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And we we planned this back then for this to coincide with the Halloween <laughs> month of this year. We really uh, planned it. Was it was all leading up to this. We planned <laughs> For these chapters to come out this month you know it's kind of weird it's funny like the tyler durden fight club references right are one thing to make but have you ever seen boondock saints it reminds me of boondock saints a little especially did, with her creed it's been it. so long it's been so fucking long i don't remember either but her creed you know her prayer and everything kind of reminds me of that so it's really funny we can bring the fight club in and we can bring the boondock saints you mm. know mm. two popular movies of their time in for Arya. yeah those were really big. Oh yeah, I mean, they're I just remember big. like they're still they're, they're still, still big. big, but I remember like being in middle school and high school and those being the cool things. Like those were so cool. Yeah, yeah. I also read and a lot had of, of them. Yeah, yeah, I also like read a lot of Chuck Palahniuk in those days. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We don't have to talk about that time in my life, anyways. But <laughs> I yeah, I only read I only read that one short story guts. I, I obviously I watched Fight Club and I had like written an essay on it or something for her class. But um, yeah, guts took me a long time to get oh, through, yeah. even though it's a very short story because it's a fucking nightmare. It's a painful ass story. Yeah. Also recommend <laughs> choke. That was a good one. They made that into a movie. Apparently, fourteen years ago, I saw it last week. I don't remember yeah. this, but I did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did. I started it. I have it somewhere. I don't think I like. I got like three pages in. Um, not like it was bad. I just yeah didn't work got out. Distracted as I do. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So Hot Pie goes in with the rest of these captives. They're all stripped and scrubbed, and they're scraped with hot water. Two older women are supervising, and when Arya's turn comes up, Goodwife Amabel clucks in dismay at her. She then has Goodwife Hera check her calluses, and both of the Goodwives decide, oh, you must be a farmer's child. You'll have a chance to move up in the world if you work hard here. And she's like, my name's Weasel. And they're like, oh, we see why. <laughs> what? Uh, they tell her that they'll cut all her hair off due to the lice and the fleas living in it, and then they send her to the kitchen. Yeah, so you really have, again, those that slipperiness of identity, which we did uh, We did do an October Patreon episode once on identities a few years ago. We did talk about the slipperiness of identities, especially Arya's storyline, as she here becomes Weasel, and then Jane later on becomes Arya. Oh, everyone taking each other's identities, and then... It reminds me of, like, Jacken killing Pate the pig boy and taking his identity, right? Yes. Like, this is Arya's first, like, I'm taking that identity. Because Weasel is quote-unquote dead to her. I mean, probably dead. I'm gonna be honest, that kid's dead. No, she's gonna Mononoke it back. She's gonna fucking marry Rickon. I was just gonna part. say, she's gonna come back, marry Rickon. It's gonna be great. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good call-out and point of the taking taking other people's identities, existing ones. And there was something here that stood out that, that you put here in the quotes of the chance to move up in the world, right? If, if Arya works hard. And it's kind of funny and ironic because we know that no matter how fucking hard Arya or someone in like Arya's position works, mm -hmm. they're actually never going to move up as far in the world as the position that Arya was actually born into. You cannot work your hard your way into fucking, can't bootstraps your way into... Lord Paramount, even mm -hmm. though Janos Slint really fucking wishes. No, we actually see that throughout the story with all, like, Janos Slint is a perfect opportunity to talk about it, because you look at that, you look at Pycelle, right? Grand Maester Pycelle, True. he worked his ass off, and the farthest he got was this court where Tyrion's putting him under arrest. Yeah, and then he loses his beard, and, you know, later on in his life, but also his beard. Yeah, and you worked really hard on that one, you know? Honestly... I, I, yeah. I mean it, though. Like, I, I'm not actually trying yeah. to be a dick about this. Like, it's emasculating that that's the one piece of his shield that he had, right? He's like, my beard, too? Fuck. I totally get that. I mean, like, our friend Rowan talks about, you know, how how in violating it was for Dunk to cut off Rowan's, the character's, braid. <laughs> that was confusing. Our actual friend Rowan, um, who had their braid cut off? No, I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that was confusing to say aloud. And so, imagine that for Maester Pycelle. Arya, like, hates it. She does not want to go to the kitchens again. She hates this. She's like, great, gonna move up in the kitchens? And she says she'd rather tend to the horses. Of course, she's imagining she'd be able to run away. And Goodwife Hera slaps her, breaks her lip back open, and tells her, no one asked for your opinion. Keep your mouth shut. We have grooms that attend the horses. Like, you do not get to tend to the horses, little girl. There's something interesting here, and this is coming off the Tyrion chapter too, of Arya being delegated even back in the camp with the Night's Watchmen where she was a quote-unquote passing as a little boy to them. She gets mm. delegated to the kitchen work due to her size, due to her stature. Interesting that she keeps being forced back into this feminine-coded lifestyle, right? No matter what she does, she gets put in the kitchen, put in the kitchen. And interestingly enough, it reminds me kind of of what's happening with Shay in A Clash of Kings. Uh, they're kind of similar. They both, you know, they got a mouth on them. Love those two, because they mouth off. And they are fierce. 
and they can withstand a lot more than maybe those around them think. Maybe even an anti-Shay, right? Because Shay's coming up from the opposite. She's trying to become someone slash being Tyrion's mistress slash now she has to work in the kitchens where Arya is becoming no one. That's that's a really good point um, of how it contrasts with Shay's storyline. And as you said, right, there's an interesting thing going on there with it being feminine coded, especially when you look at it alongside characters like Hot Pie. Mm-hmm. But, or Whis. Yeah, true. Arya, I mean, Arya doesn't want to work in the kitchens, right? Because she's, this is, this is a story about the wolf and not the bear. <laughs> Shut up, chef. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank uh, you. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> you're so, you think you're so funny sometimes. God damn it. You weren't expecting it. It was, it came completely out of left field. Chloe didn't even see this one coming. Yes, chef. Uh, yes, chef. So, Amabel says she would have done well in the kitchen, but quite obviously, she isn't a clever girl. They say they'll be sending this one to Weiss, who is a squat man with angry red boils on his face. The Lannisters are generous to those as serve them well, an honor none of your sort deserve. But in war, a man makes do with what's to hand. Work hard and mind your place, and might be one day you'll rise as high as me. If you think to presume on his lordship's kindness, though, you'll find me waiting after my lord is gone, you see. He strutted up and down before them, telling them how they must never look the highborn in the eye, nor speak until spoken to, nor get in his lordship's way. My nose never lies, he boasted. I can smell defiance. I can smell pride. I can smell disobedience. I catch a whiff of any such stinks. You'll answer for it. When I sniff you, all I want to smell is fear. Please do not sniff me. (laughs) So, a fantastic ending to this chapter, which you pointed out starts out with fear and and Arya's own litany of fear. So chapter opening, meet chapter ending. Smell fear. And it's kind of interesting because as far as we can tell, honestly, yeah, all the camps do bad stuff, but the Stark encampments do not seem run the way that this place is run. And I do think that we are supposed to perceive a kind of like irony in that the Lannisters are, they're saying that they're so generous to those who serve them well because... I mean, they're really not, right? They're actually, like, pretty stingy compared to what we've seen from the other houses. Yeah, like, the the idea of camp followers and picking up people on the road and, you know, lowborn on the road, that's something we do see happen, obviously, during war in all camps. But we don't see prisoners of war being put into indentured servitude to the Starks. And maybe Catelyn just doesn't focus on that because she's a little busy. But we really don't see them parading a line of prisoners of lowborn prisoners and putting them to work. I I think like they legitimately probably wouldn't have stood for it. And I don't think like I think you were saying earlier Tywin is giving the orders. Mm-hmm. Tywin knows. I think Tywin's like this is how we're going to fucking run it. We're supposed to be doing this sort of indentured servitude yeah. thing. Whereas I think Rob wouldn't do that especially considering that Ned was like I'm going to go after one of our most prominent lords. For selling to slavers. Right. Yeah, and again, we don't have actual clear view of that, but I 
somehow I agree with you. Somehow I don't think that's what would have... Hey, just like Ned thinks about Rhaegar, right? When he's like, is Rhaegar the type of guy that would have visited brothels? Somehow I don't... He didn't think so. And that's how I feel. Somehow I don't think so. I'm not saying they've got perfect camps, uh, but... Right. And, you know, we do critique the the way that the Starks holdings they are still nobility but mm-hmm. i'm not gonna fucking both sides this yeah it's pretty clear yeah <laughs> there's also something here like in the language and the condescension you know the normal shit where they're speaking down the normal shit in the lannister camp each of these people and like weiss for example middle manager not corporate not going anywhere this is it for him he's always gonna manage a kitchen weiss is never gonna go anywhere never in his life so him and the good wives, the way that the good wives speak to Arya, they say, oh, you're not a clever girl, are you? And it's coded, so it reminds me a little bit of the way Yorin speaks to her at her dad's beheading when he's like, oh, you're not a very clever boy now, are you? Because I think he pretty much mm. kind of get does similar language. But I kind of was thinking about it and I was looking it up and clever girl is only used exactly in this way, like five times. Most of the time it's used towards Sansa, right? Whether it's Danto saying that she's a very clever girl, his, his Jean Quill. And then there's some little finger, you know, oh, clever girl, gross, get the fuck away from her, get a job. But it's like this line that's being used, you know, and it's used in real life. When you do something that makes the grownups happy, usually, you know, like you're in a bad circumstance, so don't fuck it up more. Be a clever girl is how it's being used in this story. It's kind of a threat. It's not really actually like a nice thing to say about someone. Like you're not saying usually, oh, there's a clever girl. Like Melisandre, for example, in A Dance with Dragons says about Jane Arya Alice, whichever one at the time she was thinking about, obviously, we learn it's Alice after, but she calls her a clever girl for avoiding the King's Road. That was a true compliment. She was truly saying, wow, what a clever girl your sister Arya is, John, because she's not taking the King's Road. Uh, but no, most mm-hmm. of the time it's a threat slash a condescending phrase being used. So I was really surprised at how little that phrase is actually used, clever girl, throughout the story, and that it really is only used to condescend to Arya Sansa and used about Alice Jane Arya. It's kind of interesting. Like, is it is it kind of giving us this insight into their culture of like, I mean, we don't fucking expect girls to be clever. We don't give a shit if they're clever or not. We just need them to... Clever is meant to be like obedient, mm-hmm. as you were calling out in this in this quote of like if you were a clever girl or like this idea you wouldn't do X or you'll get beat. Yeah, it's obedience. So. It's absolutely obedience. It's doing your job, submitting. It's submission. Be submissive. Obey, be meek. Serve whatever the last the third one is. Live, laugh, love. Oh my god. Obey, serve, live. What is the other? Obey, one? serve, live, laugh, yeah. love. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's. That's the decor that Gregor Clegane has. Stop. Throw pillows, except he keeps breaking them. He keeps breaking them on accident. Yeah. Feathers everywhere. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, His Pinterest has got to be crazy. Like, one board is all about torture, and the next one is, like, home decoration. (laughs) That that would be the the Pinterest. Yeah. He writes it in blood. Obey, <laughs> serve, live, laugh, love. Ah, man. That's why he's the tickler, is one of his friends. It just tickles him. It really does. It just tickles him. <laughs> well, 
honestly like very solid chapter despite how short it is very dense chapter for being a small one and it's crazy because next week is a big one in my opinion it's a uh, Arya's first jack and kill and it's thick mm-hmm. and it's full of interesting juicy stuff so i'm excited to share that chapter with you and mallory next week and with the whole world yes it's an exciting chapter for so 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 many reasons and again we planned it we planned it to fall during october of this year yep 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 mm-hmm. yep mm. yep yep so if you want to know more about our plans you can follow <laughs> us on social media at girls gone canon i guess it, it's not even twitter.com anymore is it i'm still gonna keep calling it twitter.com slash girls gone canon that's c-a-n-o-n or on Blue Sky also at Girls Gone Canon, but then it's got like, I don't know, Girls Gone Canon dot Blue Sky dot. I don't know. It's too hard for me to, to tell you all. So just search for us there. And then, of course, you can send us an email as well with your thoughts. I mean, there's a lot to respond about and to send emails about for next chapter. I'm just saying. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well, just like Warren sent us on Arya in A Clash of Kings or Arya in the rest of the story. So please feel free to send us an email. We would love to hear from you. It's at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. C-A-N-O-N, as we have already stressed <laughs> twice, now thrice, oh. this episode. And of course, our patrons here are going to probably stress it for the third time. The, the They're stressing it thrice for us. Uh, But every episode we do is sponsored by those bad guys over there at Patreon.com. The ladies, gays, they's, thems. They are out, hot to trot, and they're going to tell you where else you can find us. You can catch Girls Gone Canon on any of the following streamers. On Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Audible, and Amazon podcasts. You can also join us on Patreon, where if you join the Thunder tier or above, you have access to a Discord and monthly happy hours and things like that. And by joining the Discord, you get access to a bunch of great channels, including but not limited to memes and shit posting channel, Fashion Hour. There are multiple channels for historic materials, A Song of Ice and Fire. There's a pets channel, which I think is probably the most important channel of all. Respectful thirsting, because there's a channel for that. Come by, join the community. It's a lot of fun, and you won't regret it. Thank you again to our patrons for telling us where to go to listen to Girls Gone Canon. Big thanks to them. And of course, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with San Rixian to cover Arya 7 in A Clash of Kings. I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. See you next week. It's EGOT time, bitch. (laughs) No, I was literally just thinking, I was like, so musicals. (laughs) So musicals. (laughs) In the rebellion. In the rebellion. In the rebellion. Or like, imagine like Les Mis style, you know, like they're out there. Can you hear the people sing? But not those words, because that's already used in the musical. But that vibe. That vibe. Thinking something funky like, he's a young stag. I don't know. Oh, interesting. And I've, I've also already, as you remember, floated my idea of the bells song, right? Where you have handbells. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm already mm-hmm. into it. So mm-hmm. we'll be back next week with this musical. Rhaegar harp solo.
this is only for the Robert's Rebellion part. Like, imagine, imagine. I guess there was already a Westeros the musical. Never mind. Ignore me. That already happened. The second or third Game of Thrones musical ever. Can't wait to produce it with you. See you next week. Okay, goodbye. <laughs>